This program is brought to you from the Margaret Farrow Studio. Hello and welcome to Newsmakers. I'm your host, Lisa Pugh. Monday, January 16th marks the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday commemorating the life and accomplishments of the renowned civil rights leader. Yet since Dr. King's time, persistent disparities continue for Wisconsinites who are black across several key areas. Today we are talking with Representative Dora Drake, a Democrat from Milwaukee who is also chair of the Wisconsin Legislative Black Caucus. Thank you for joining Newsmakers. Thank you for having me, Lisa. It's a pleasure being here. So when the show airs, it'll be the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday on Monday. How do you celebrate that day? So there's so much to do. I know previously before I was elected, I would actually go and uh, volunteer during in the community where there's acts of service. But with this year in Milwaukee, we usually have an annual breakfast that YMCA has and and commemorating his uh, legacy. And so there's, I know there's so many other events that different community leaders, organizations do in honor, and it's important that we keep their legacy alive and what they've done, so, what he has done so far, not only obviously for this state, but for our country. Is it an important holiday for you personally? It is. I think it's always important that we look back at who's come before us. You know, I didn't get here by myself and anyone that thinks that they're able to be here in this moment, in this time, um, fails to realize the sacrifices that people have made. And with uh, Martin Luther King Jr., he dedicated his life fighting for civil rights, act advocating for the best interests of black individuals across this nation. And it's only my due responsibility to making sure I push that forward. Uh, in December, you were unanimously elected by your colleagues as the chair of the Wisconsin Legislative Black Caucus. Uh, tell us a little bit about the caucus and its goals. Absolutely. So our caucus is obviously diverse in terms of region. The majority of us are from Milwaukee, but due to um, some of the representatives from Madison, it shows the growth that is happening in our state. And so in and in that, we also recognize that there are other communities that are growing as well. Um, I've spoken to some folks in Green Bay who, you know, want to get more engaged, right? And I know working in partners with our other colleagues throughout the state that that's important. So I think most and foremost, the caucus's goal is to do what is in the best interest of African Americans throughout this whole state, but in tangible ways. Right, I know that there's been past legislation that many of the caucus members has introduced and pushed throughout the years, whether it's the Crown Act, whether it's legislation around addressing gun violence in our communities. But when it comes to advocating, folks need to have a tangible sense of what it means to really have a holistic living, whether that's making sure that you have a living wage to live on, or making sure that there are opportunities uh, to be hired, you know, whether it's diverse supplier chain or workforce, but also things that I think we know all too well. What are we doing to making sure that um, people become homeowners, not being incarcerated, things of that nature. So at its core, the caucus's goal is to do tangible results that will have a major impact for black Wisconsinites. 
In your announcement about your election as chair, you talked about goals for the caucus mm -hmm. for this coming legislative session. You said the caucus would be focused on creating means for economic security, mm -hmm. ending gun violence, investing in youth, and continuing the fight to end racial and social disparities. Those are those are lofty goals. They how, are. How do you, how do you think you will mark progress? I think it'll mark progress based on not only what legislation we're able to introduce, because I think there is value in saying what needs to be addressed in our state legislature, regardless of the political makeup, right? But in that same breath, I do believe that there might be avenues for bipartisanship to have legislation that could be signed into law, right? So that's one area of where there could be success. But the other area of success is also what are we doing for our educational outreach? What are we doing to work with other stakeholders outside of legislation, whether it's um, corporate leaders, especially in areas for energy and solar, to workforce development that can um, still get work done, you know, even outside of the legislative process. And so I think all those things can help mark how we move forward as a caucus due to our success. So can you give us some specific examples of some legislation that you might see the caucus really promoting oh. in this session? Well, I will say it's early in the session, so people are still trying to get um, things prepared in their offices. I'm not quite sure um, what may be introduced. I'm. I'm assuming uh, the Crown Act will be pushed forward again this year. Tell us a little bit about that. So the Crown Act is something that was initiated, I believe, by a situation where a girl, not just a girl, but it's happened in many states across the nation where people are discriminated based on how they wear their hair. And so obviously that is an attack on livelihood, it is minimizing one's expression, and it's just downright discrimination. And so doing something, pushing that forward, is a preventive measure and a protective measure, making sure that regardless of how people choose to wear their hair, you know, and it's natural, relax, whatever style it is in, that it doesn't inhibit what that person is there for, whether they're there for school, whether it's in the workplace, because how someone wears their hair has no, um, place in terms of determining someone's ability to thrive in that area. Any other uh, legislation that you personally will be promoting or hoping to see move forward? What I am hoping to look forward to is one innovation. So I know, you know, in the pandemic, we saw how technology became something that all of us needed, right? It was no longer something that was a, uh, an accessory. Luxury, yes, but it's a necessity now. And I think we saw how much of a digital divide we have seen, not just in urban communities, but in suburban and rural communities too. And so when we talk about you know, technology and innovation, Milwaukee, Madison, and even Green Bay are currently working, trying to make sure that we stay up to date with the new innovation that can happen in our state. It keeps people here, it attracts folks to stay, and there's local talent here that we need to be reinvesting and making sure that we give them opportunities to become leaders, whether it's in management, executive board members, and that and the other. So I'm hopeful and excited that some of those legislation measures would be coming forward this year. In almost every interview I'm doing with legislators now, I'm asking about this record budget surplus, more yes. than $6 billion. Mm -hmm. I've heard many ideas. Is there a particular idea on use of those funds that you th think could have a significant impact on these significant disparities for black residents? Absolutely. I think there needs to be 
and intentionality of where we put funding to not only promote economic growth, but also um, safety. I know safety is a big topic, um, not just in the Milwaukee area, but just statewide. And a lot of what we have seen in our own communities is what are we doing to prevent those measures? And a lot of those things are being invested in. So that's one area that I believe What's an example of something that isn't being invested in? So I would say violence prevention is one. Um, I, so my background personally, I was a pretrial case manager and then did re-entry services for a year. But what I have seen is a lot of the folks that come in contact with the justice system usually means that some time before they got there, someone failed them. And that falls on us because we all collectively have a part in that. And so if there are measures to do preventive work, whether it's making sure, you know, it's a multifaceted approach. Kids can make sure they can read and write before third grade, making sure that people are in sustainable and strong homes, making sure that they have jobs that they can support their families and put food on the table, are all different ways on how you prevent uh, violence before it gets to where people feel like they have no other option. So that's where you'd be looking for that surplus to mm -hmm. be targeted. Who do you think are your key allies for the goals of the caucus this session? So the key allies I think are probably going to be vast in terms of, I know obviously the majority of, well actually all black caucus members currently are Democrats and so we all you know, have democratic values in that. But I hope, so obviously, you know, our Democratic Caucus has been huge allies in what we've pushed through over the years. But I'm hoping that there might be a window for bipartisanship. Because in a state like Wisconsin, due to how gerrymandered our maps are, there's no way any, any piece of legislation can get through unless it has bipartisan support. And I'm hopeful that in areas where it's maybe workforce development or things that can push um, the betterment of black Wisconsinites in the economic sense, that there might be some opportunities there. And even outside stakeholders, maybe there are community uh, members that I know are huge proponents in what the work that we're trying to do, whether it's local organizations, organizers that have been doing the work before. I'm sure a lot of us have been elected. So those are gonna be our key stakeholders throughout this session. Main obstacles? Main obstacles? Oh, that's a good question. I will say, I think it's a little too early to determine, but I think it really will determine on the sausage making when it comes to the legislative process. You know, obviously there are concerns that all, each district has, you know, in terms of the agenda items that us as a caucus are pushing forward, getting to get the majority of other colleagues of ours to support those initiatives. So I think the dis discussion and the sausage making is where that probably will be the biggest um, obstacle that we'll be hard facing. work. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, as we mentioned at the top of the show, and we kind of been talking about this, that all the disparities mm -hmm. for black Wisconsinites, we want to provide a little bit of an overview for our viewers of some of the data from various sources. Mm -hmm. um, Black people comprise 6% of Wisconsin's general population. In education markers, Wisconsin's racial disparities in assessment data are the worst in the nation. According to analysis from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel in fourth grade math, white students in Wisconsin scored about 37% higher than black students. In fourth grade reading, white students in Wisconsin scored about 
22% higher than black students. If we're looking at health outcomes, Wisconsin DHS says infant death rates for black babies 2.7% higher than for white babies. The Commonwealth Fund scorecard graded Wisconsin very poorly for black residents. Wisconsin's health system overall ranked 32 out of 38 states. And then looking at incarceration rates, the sentencing project says Wisconsin has the highest rate of incarceration among its black residents. One of every 36 black Wisconsinites is in prison. Um, some pretty startling yeah. statistics. Mm -hmm. How do you explain those disparities? Do you see a root cause? Well, the root cause is poverty. Um, so I believe even before we got to these disparities, um, at one time, you know, Wisconsin was known for its manufacturers, and we had companies here where people can walk to work, um, could have a well-paying job, come back, and was able to obviously take care of their family, you know, and obviously with that, take care of their health, this, that, and the other. But when those companies went away, there was a loss, and it was a divestment from, um, at least in Milwaukee area, of support, you know, economic support from there. And so at least I can say specifically to what happened in Milwaukee, when you intentionally divest and not plan to reinvest in those communities, that's what you see. You see increased crime rates, you see um, obviously poor reading scores, because our property values determine you know how much funding goes into our school systems and that's where it roots the root cause of it is and so when we talk about addressing these issues yes part of that especially with health disparities is making sure that there are more um, professionals that one look like us but are also knowledgeable of some of the nuances that we collectively may experience that other folks may not and being honest and saying that racism does play a role in that a lot of times. You know, I think that's the elephant in the room where we're scared to say, but it's the reality of it. It doesn't make anyone any less of a person, but you can't address the root causes of it without naming it. And so I think as we move forward, when you address these issues, acknowledging that that has played a key role in how these disparities have come about in Wisconsin, but also realizing the role that economic support really has a key factor in all of those things. And so I think to point, you know, to education, we know that if kids cannot read and write by third grade, they're more likely to fall into that school to prison pipeline. And I've firstly seen it, you know, in my work in the criminal justice system. So making sure that regardless of if you're the educator, if you're the administrator, or the parent, or even the community, at some point, all of us have to agree that we need to do what's in the best interest of that child. Because our child, the children are our future, and if they can't be successful, then that has a direct impact on us when we're older, and they're taking the lead and they're leading us. Hence. When you look at that data mm -hmm. and those disparities, we just mentioned education, health, and yeah. incarceration. There are other disparities. Absolutely. Is there any one area that concerns you the most? I think at the heart of it, if you can make sure children can read and write by third grade, that has a domino effect on everything. You know, you might be more prone to end up um, taking maybe the lesser of the better options, you know, maybe getting into the wrong crowd, not having the support that you need, but also with health, if you don't have the support or money to do that, then obviously, you know, that affects you and then that knowledge and that lack of knowledge then is passed down. And in terms of those three areas, 
especially just seeing how tech is a way of really a tool that's impacting all those things that could make it great or harm, you know, those disparities even more. Being able to understand and under and have literacy, I think, is key in a lot of those areas. You're relatively new to the legislature. Yeah. You just uh, started your second yes. term. Yes, yes, I did. Do you think that your you talked about your, the Democratic Caucus being allies? Mm -hmm. Have your Democratic colleagues done enough over time to address these disparities? I think there are stuff that they're definitely taking, but there's always room for growth. And I think that's something that all of us need to be mindful of. <coughs> Is there, with these disparities, obviously there's still work to do, right? But in that, I'm also gonna say too that if we haven't addressed those issues, clearly there's still more that we have to do on everybody's part. You mentioned education and literacy. Mm -hmm. There have been many proposals over time to reform Milwaukee public schools mm -hmm. where um, black students have the worst outcomes yeah. in the nation. What, other than in additional funding, what other reforms or changes need to happen in MPS that the caucus supports? So I will say bluntly that one effort that was attempted last year was to completely dismantle MPS altogether. That was not a solution because that harms um, obviously the families, educators, and that really doesn't solve the heart of the problem. And so that's something that I think was definitely a political ploy that Republicans put on last year just to do that. But I think in terms of moving forward, there needs to be some sort of pipeline or plan to support our black educators. You know, a lot of our black educa educators all around the board are already putting their all. You know, they're loving on our kids, they're trying to teach, and they still have to go back home to their families without the best pay. You know, we can be frank. But when you have black educators in the room too, they have a nuance, they have issues that other educators may not have to deal with. They do deal with the racism, you know, in terms of maybe promoting programming or uh, events for their students that may not be supported, you know, at times. And so I think one really looking at what are we doing to support our black educators, not just to get them hired, but so that they can stay and making sure that they're filled in that way. So I think that's one opportunity that the caucus would definitely, I'm sure, be in support of. Milwaukee, the city you represent, 40% uh, black population. Uh, as I mentioned, I've talked to many uh, mm -hmm. elected officials over the last several months and prior to the November elections, and we asked lawmakers about their views on Milwaukee. Many lawmakers, particularly GOP lawmakers from rural areas, mm -hmm. say they don't think Milwaukee needs more additional state resources and mm -hmm. funding. What's your message to those outstate legislators? So my message is that Milwaukee is what economically sustains our state. You know, regardless if people want to acknowledge it or not, Milwaukee is economic heartbeat. And so if Milwaukee fails, everybody else does. And this game of, you know, all games end to where there's no benefit is harming us and it's continued to harm us. And so if folks have questions, I welcome them to have a conversation. It's because I know that there are cultural differences, you know, in urban, suburban, rural, in terms of the issues that we all advocate for. But if we're serious about moving forward, you know, we have to talk about shared revenue. We have to talk about giving local municipalities the ability to levy their own taxes to ensure the uh, services that they provide are adequately sourced. I just did a ride along actually with um, the fire chief um, in my district in Milwaukee and seeing the 
love and dedication that our first responders have is honorable, but they could do so much more if they're serviced. You could say the same thing about our you know, health providers, you know, they're not actually funded as much, or even our um, schools, you know, or transportation, infrastructure all around. And so my message to them is that Milwaukee keeps the state going, and if Milwaukee fails, we all fail, and I don't think any of us want that. Uh, this past week, uh, there was a joint hearing in the Senate committee on judiciary and public safety, mm -hmm. talking about an amendment to change Wisconsin's bail policy to um, allow uh, judges to impose cash bail mm -hmm. differently on how people are when they're charged with serious violent crimes. Mm -hmm. You've said that amendment would increase disparities. What did you mean by that? So what in my line of work doing pretrial services, I have seen where clients have had the same charge but due to someone maybe being more financially endowed with resources versus somebody else, someone that has more financial resources are able to hire obviously a private attorney that can work more on their behalf. And in my case, what happened with my two clients, my client that was more financially, had more financial resources, not only got his conditions reduced, he also got it to where he didn't have to see me anymore. And then his case was done in three months. My client that was, you know, had a job, was probably trying to take care of his family, not only lost his job because of his uh, you know, pending case and you know, still struggling to find work, his case lasted more than six months. And so what you do is when you use cash as a method to keep people in custody as a way for public safety, what you're actually doing is you're creating a potentially two-tiered justice system where those that are poor that come from a lower socioeconomic status have to do the time, while potentially dangerous folks, wealthy folks, are out um, in the community. And the best way to explain it is if I had some, if there was someone that was, had a pending charge for armed robbery, right, but he was able, he or she was able to pay $150,000, $500,000 cash bail, would you still feel safe? You wouldn't is because he was just able to pay it to get out. And that's not, that's just talking about the social economic piece that happens in our justice system. We're not even talking about the barriers that people that have English as their second language are speaking. We're not talking about how race or gender plays a role in that, especially for victims. And so that has a real concern on my part. And if folks think that that's a Democrat versus Republican concern, Frankly, there are conservative judges that have concerns with this too, not only in our state, but even in a state like Texas. I have had uh, the pleasure of meeting one of those judges talk about how they know that that is not only a huge concern in terms of creating a two-tier system, but it really is a concern of due process that our Constitution uh, covers and protects. We just saw the release of some of the latest uh, crime data mm -hmm. from Milwaukee, 11% uh, 11 increase in homicide rates in the mm -hmm. city of Milwaukee over the previous year. What, you, you mentioned a little bit of uh, your interest in prevention. Yeah. Are there other uh, public safety proposals that the caucus will be supporting or looking to in this session? So in terms of what we have last year, I know that some of those proposals were, you know, funding for TAD prevention, you know, additional funding for 
violence prevention programs as well as additional support for victims. You know, those are some of the proposals that were introduced last year that we all collectively agreed on, and I'm sure proposals of that nature would be things that we support in the future. Uh, we've been talking a little bit about MLK Day, which yes. is on Monday. Mm -hmm. um, we celebrate uh, Black History Month in mm -hmm. February. I wanted to share a quote um, from Martin Luther King Jr. and get your um, reaction to that. In a 1966 uh, essay on nonviolence, he shared his vision for what he called a beloved community. He said, mm -hmm. there's no easy way to create a world where men and women can live together, where each has his own job and house, and where all children receive as much education as their minds can absorb. But if such a world is created in our lifetime, it will be accomplished by persons who have the courage to put an end to suffering by willingly suffering themselves. It will be done by rejecting the racism, materialism, and violence that has characterized Western civilization, and especially by working toward a world of brotherhood, cooperation, and peace. How do you reflect on that message today? On that message, I believe that there are people that have taken that to heart and have put the work forward, right? But those words still ring true because we're still not there yet, you know? And I think what Martin Luther King Jr. Um, was able to foresee was not only the potential that we could, what, where we could get, but also knowing what the sacrifices um, that had to be made and specifically um, actually, one of my favorite speeches that he talked about was his last one, um, I've Been to the Mountaintop, you know, and in some of his final words, he illustrated the importance of making sure that at some point, the, our humanity, our care for one another has to be selfless. And if you look at all these issues that we talked about, incarceration, education, health, economic opportunity, it all stems from if someone has to get more, that means someone's not getting something at all. And that's just system, systemically what's happened, you know, in our country and obviously in our cities throughout the state. So as we move forward, I would say his words are an encouragement to us. It's because it reminds us that there are still people that can do it, and he's given us the blueprint of what needs to happen. It will take each and every one of us to identify where can I help and not stand on the sidelines anymore? What can I do to push change forward, right? Whether it's, you know, use an interviewer, myself as the representative, but even for people back at home that are gonna be watching this. And as we reflect on that, having radical empathy to see someone past what we see in our own experiences, to put ourselves in their shoes, and to not only just express it, see it, but to take action and do something about it. What do you think Dr. King would say about these disparities we have for black residents in Wisconsin today? It's time for change and people need to do what they need to do to move forward. Would he be frustrated by that? Well, I think anybody would. Um, I mean, I can easily tell you any black resident can see those numbers and easily tell you, of course, that's what we deal with. Um, on a day-to-day -day basis, that's what we see, whether it's our own lives, whether that's on the people that we love, whether that's just in our community. But in order to move forward, we can't get stuck in that frustration. There has to be a fight to keep moving forward. 
what can we expect to see from the caucus for Black History Month in February? Now, I can't share everything. We need to still keep it somewhat of a surprise, but there will be tons of events that will be highlighting some of these disparities that we actually talked about. Um, on top of that, there's usually a kickoff that we uh, do, you know, to let folks know what we'll be doing for the month, and we're in the process of filing finalizing those details and when we have all that set, then there'll be more to share at that time. So final question, yes. are you hopeful that in your, in your lifetime, as mm -hmm. Dr. King had envisioned, that we would see a world with adequate housing, jobs, and education for all? Are you hopeful that that can be achieved? I have to. You know, in order to do this work, you have to have hope that something can change, you know? And for anyone that's in any, uh, space of public service, you get into it hoping that there's something that you can change to see better. And so some of those things, whether it's adequate housing, um, education, health, I do believe those things can be addressed, um, but it just takes the fight, the right people um, to get it done, and I think it can. All right, well, thank you so much for joining us, thank and happy MLK Day. Happy MLK Day to you, too. <laughs> And thank you to the viewers of Newsmakers. Please join us again as we highlight the issues and sit down with the decision makers who make a difference for all of us. This program is a production of Wisconsin Eye, an independent, nonpartisan, nonprofit media network with a mission to inform, educate, and engage the citizens of Wisconsin. Wisconsin Eye is the nation's first and only independently funded state civics broadcast network, providing gavel-to-gavel -gavel access to government proceedings and events at the state capitol.